This is episode 144 with author, mental performance consultant, and performance psychology PhD, Dr. Sindra Kamphoff. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and I'm also the head coach of Strength Running. The goal of this show is to give you new ideas, tools, and strategies for improving your running, whether that's running a new distance, hitting a certain finish time, or avoiding your next injury. I'll be bringing you the leaders in the fitness industry to help you reach more of your big running goals, from elite runners, sports psychologists like Syndra Today, strength experts, coaches, best-selling authors, and physical therapists who can help make our running dreams a reality. Because as I like to say, knowledge is a competitive advantage. The more you know, the better decisions you'll make about your training. If you're new to the show, we have 143 other episodes, a video channel on YouTube, or our home base, strengthrunning.com, where you can see all of our coaching programs, detailed guides on everything from injury prevention to running for beginners to how you can master your mindset and become a more mentally tough runner. I'd also like to thank Naked Nutrition for sponsoring today's episode. I've been using their vanilla whey protein powder recently, and this is hands down the best protein powder I've ever had. It's from grass-fed cows, there's nothing artificial in it, and the flavored protein powders have only three ingredients. Check them out at nkdnutrition.com, and if you happen to be a vegan, they have a pea protein option as well. Okay, our guest today is Dr. Sindra Kamphoff, a nationally recognized speaker and leader in the performance psychology space. She earned her PhD in sport and performance psychology and served three years on the executive board of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, the premier organization in the field. She is the CEO of Mentally Strong Consulting and is currently in her fourth year providing mental training for the Minnesota Vikings, where she works one-on-one with the players. And I'd be remiss not to add that she won the 2012 Omaha Marathon, finishing in 3.05. On today's episode, we're discussing how to reframe adversity for one-time obstacles, but also for ongoing chronic obstacles that you know you'll face again. We're also talking about mental toughness, how to use fear to your advantage, and effective strategies for applying these mental skills to your running. As we go deeper into 2020, which I've started calling the year of mastering our mindset, I want to continue providing you tools and resources for building the mental skills that will make you into a formidable athlete. Skills like confidence, focus, anxiety management, and mental toughness. And next week, I'm making a big announcement. We are launching our newest course on improving your mental fitness. Stay tuned for next week, but if you've ever wondered what you could achieve if your mind didn't get in the way, you're going to love our newest program. All right, let's move on to our discussion. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Sindra, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I, I am a listener of your podcast, so it's cool to be a guest. Well, after I reached out to you and you said, oh, I listened to the Strength Running Podcast, of course I'll come on. It kind of blew my mind a little bit, so I'm excited for, for you making the time for us. And uh, I, I first wanted to acknowledge the fact that you are not just a runner, but you are quite a fast runner. You won the Omaha Marathon back in 2012 in 3.05. So 
congratulations. Having a sports psych who's also this fast is a real treat. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I did have a, a goal for a time being of like trying to make it to the trials and get into that time, like really cut. But uh, then I started writing and speaking more. And so that's what's kind of taken over my time. Um, but thanks for saying that. I love running. It's like part of who I am and my identity. Oh, I think a lot of runners uh, will, will that, that resonates with them for sure. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is this topic of adversity. I think we're all just surrounded by it right now. And adversity is something that runners encounter almost on a daily basis. Everything from, you know, it could be the weather, it could be a difficult workout, it could be their long run. But right now we're also dealing with races that are canceled, not having an available gym, no group runs. And I was thinking, is there a way for us to reframe adversity as a good thing? Um, yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I actually think we must, and particularly during this time of COVID-19, I think it's really important that we stay focused on things we can control. And there's so many things that we can't control right now in terms of what races are, are happening and when they're happening and what the regulations uh, during the race are going to be. And, you know, Jason, as I think about this topic, let me give you a little bit more detail. So uh, I have a book called Beyond Grit, and it's about 10 practices of the world's best. And um, when you look at the research and performance psychology about what the best of the best do, I've compiled these 10 practices. And the first practice is grit. And grit means having passion, perseverance for your very long-term goals. Um, it's defined in, in the sports psychology literature and the psychology literature in general by Angela Duckworth. And so last year, we conducted a study where we were looking at grit, and we specifically interviewed pro athletes and um, athletes who had just retired. And we were examining what allowed them to develop their grit, like what allowed them to stay you know, passionate and excited and to stick with their long-term goals. And what we actually found was that all of them had overcome significant adversity to get to where they are. And they wouldn't have actually become a pro athlete if they wouldn't have overcome this significant amount of adversity. And so some examples were like uh, a death of a family member who was really close to them, their own cancer, a seizing ending injury. And so it was actually their response to the adversity that set them up for a career as a pro athlete. So, you know, this really addresses your question is like, how can adversity be a good thing? I think it helps us become who we're supposed to become. And I think goals and staying gritty towards those goals are less about what we accomplish in the end, right? But it's more about who we become in the process. Um, and just to kind of give you another example, in another study, when adults are asked, like, what was the most important day in their life? It was a day they had to overcome significant adversity. So I think it, it is a good thing. It shapes us who, uh, that who we're supposed to be. You know, and um, Jason, I was at, the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013. I was a runner there. I had just finished the race. And it was that day, actually, that, uh, that really led me to do what I do now. I probably wouldn't be on the podcast with you <laughs> if it wasn't for um, me being at the Boston Marathon bombing. So it's like when I look back at my own life, it was like that difficult moment allowed me to shift and adjust. And it kind of woke me up to my own life to do what I'm doing now. So um, adversity is a great thing because it teaches us 
important, what's important in our life and it helps us pivot and adjust and helps us become who we're supposed to become. It sets us up for the next step in our lives. Almost like a catalyst, like you mentioned, like something that is a seed that can grow into something more powerful, bigger, more impactful in the world. And so, uh, yeah, I, I really like that. And, you know, I was at the 2013 Boston Marathon too. I was cheering a couple of my athletes in the race. And if you finished right before, so you probably ran around 325, 330, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and yeah, you know what? It, it's funny that you say that because I ran the 2014 Boston Marathon because of the bombing in 2013. I just felt like I had to be one with the running community. I wanted to run the race to to show the world that runners were not scared to run these big marathons anymore. And it was almost like that that terrible thing that happened was a catalyst that prompted me to register and train for my first and only Boston Marathon. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, and for me, I think the mer- the 2013 bombing, you know, my our hotel room was right next to Boylston Street. So we could see what was happening and there was even, you know, a rumor that there was a bomb in our hotel. So it was just a, a really scary moment for me. And I remember kind of sitting in my hotel and, you know, I was with my husband and our closest running friends and you're just looking out the window and there you could see Boylston Street, you know, where the the finish line is. And I just remember myself, you know, asking like, why am I still here? You know, what difference do I make and why do I do what I do? And so, you know, that that moment was a really a, a pivotal moment in my life because I started making different decisions and getting out there with my message, writing a book. I've worked uh, with a lot of pro runners and just, um, you know, uh, also recreational runners doing mental training. I've worked with the Minnesota Vikings for four years doing mental training and and all that stuff is stuff I wanted to do. But if it wasn't for this big moment in my life, this adversity, I wouldn't be doing what I'm I'm doing now. So I also think like uh, we can ask ourselves when we're when we're faced with something that's difficult, we can ask ourselves, you know, how is this happening for me, not to me? And the for me means like you're asking yourself, how is this a gift? How is this an opportunity? What can I learn? How can I grow? Instead of to me is like, oh, you know, poor me, kind of the self-pity, you know, to me means that you're taking it personally. Uh, but when we really embrace the adversity, I think it allows us to, to become who we're supposed to become to reach our goals. I really like that uh, reframing of adversity as, you know, why is this happening for me rather than to me? Because I think, you know, we've grown up hearing that, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and this is a really actionable way to, to take that and think more critically about, you know, crappy things that are happening to you in your life and, and how you might be able to reframe that and use it as fuel to do something else that's bigger and better in your own life. Um, now, Sindra, a lot of what we're talking about are, you know, things like terrible things like the the terror attack in Boston, or, you know, you use some examples like losing a close family member or having cancer. You know, these things to me seem almost like, almost like one time uh, types of adversity. What happens for more regular adversity? Like for a runner, for example, every time we race, we are putting ourselves in an uncomfortable position. We have almost an obstacle that we must get over. That is this race. How do we reframe that kind of more regular adversity to work for us? Yeah, that's a great question. 
And I think you're right. Like runners are always, if, if you're working to improve yourself, you're working to, you know, embrace that discomfort. And the ways I, I think about it is you can even in, all throughout your day live in your comfort zone, or I'm going to say your courage zone. And your courage zone is really when you're trying something new, you're pushing yourself. And I love this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, you know, do something every day that's just a little bit scary. She says, when you do something every day that's scary, you become the person you're supposed to become, right? You, you, you fulfill the meaning that you're supposed to become in this world. And I think as runners, we can easily just kind of go through the motions, right? That's just comfort. But really, when I think about, Jason, when I've improved myself as a runner, I've been pushing the pace a little bit every day, right? I've been really growing. And so I, did, I like to take this idea of, can I do something every day that's just a little bit scary? You know, in my business, it might be going live on Facebook, <laughs> you know, or I just put together this awesome high performance mindset summit last month where I interviewed like 22 experts about mindset. That was a little bit scary because, you know, I was reaching out to people and a really quick turnaround after COVID-19 started. And so can we do something that's just a little bit scary every day? And I think that's what allows us to really grow and do the become the person we're supposed to become and not just stay stagnant. So I think the ways that you do that are similar. Um, I have these focus-improving questions that I like to ask myself. And so even when I'm struggling on a run, I might say, you know, what's the opportunity here? Or how is the situation a gift? Or uh, what's amazing about my life right now? What's great about my situation? What's going right in my life? What's awesome about my family? What can I be thankful for? And so continually reframing and realizing that, Adversity is here to help you. And uh, when we do that, I think it allows us to um, embrace it. And I also think, Jason, like nothing magnificent is ever, you've never accomplished anything magnificent that didn't require or maybe even demanded, you know, difficulty, struggle and grit. And so that's why it's important to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so critical for growth as a runner because, you only improve when you start taking risks. You know, you risk going a little bit too hard in a workout. You risk running higher weekly mileage than you ever have before. Or you risk running the first half of a race faster than you ever have before. And I've taken all of those risks in my running career. And it seems like most of the time I actually fail. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like that's okay. Like I, I, I have so many races where I'm like, all right, I'm going to run the first half mile, you know, in, in this split. And then it doesn't work out so great. And, and I end up failing, not running the time that I'd like. But at the same time, I learned more about myself and my abilities so that the next time I was in a similar situation, I could refine my approach a little bit and have a better race. And I feel like that's really what we're talking about, right? It's this learning process. And any adversity that we experience is an opportunity to learn and to grow. And one thing that I do want to hit on real quick before we move on, Syndra, is, you know, when you're having a bad run, you're talking about some of the things that you're saying to yourself in your head, and it sounds like you have some great self-talk going on. It does sound like that that is a gratitude practice. You are thinking about things that you could be grateful for and, and reframing the difficulty that you're experiencing. Does gratitude play a role in that? Absolutely. I have this awesome um, grit morning exercise that I call it. And I, I do it many days um, during my morning run. 
And Jason, I'll kind of describe it to you. And for those people who are listening, you can actually go and download the instructions at beyondgrit.com slash morning. So it's beyondgrit.com slash morning. It includes four steps. And if I'm doing it on my run, you know, I, I might spend a couple of minutes on each step. I can I can spend five minutes on each step, you know, or even more. Uh, when I'm not on my run, I do it at least for a minute on each step. And G stands for gratitude. And what that means is for at least one minute, up to five minutes or 10 minutes, I'm thinking about all the things I'm grateful for. And that might be, you know, the big things, the small things, even the difficult things. And we can be grateful for the, the tough things as well, because again, they help us. Um, R is the next part of it. And for, you know, at least one minute up to as many as you want, I think about R stands for remember your why or your purpose. And you could just on your run be thinking about, well, why do you run? Or if you also have a job, you know, why do you do that job? Or, um, you know, what is your purpose? What is what is your why that really powers you? Um, and just spending time thinking about that. And the I stands for intention. And I usually start that with an I will statement. And it's less about um, what I want to do that day, but who I want to be. So it's, you know, maybe um, I will be present with my kids today or I will be productive and have a great focus. And the power of all of this is really just to help you prime yourself for, for a great day and for empowering emotions throughout your day. And then the T stands for talk to yourself. And for at least one minute, uh, talk to yourself in a really powerful way. And on this PDF, I've given some ways where you can, um, I just gave you in some examples of, of statements you could say. And maybe it's, you know, like every day in every way I am getting faster. <laughs> every day in every way I'm getting stronger when I'm running. Um, or I am fast. I am strong. I am powerful. I am smart. Right. So just for one minute, think about all the things that you want to. That really is going to help you have a great day. And and I think the power of the T to talk to yourself is, is really I my identity. I can shape my identity any way that I want. And what I think about myself, I become. So if I want to become more of something. I need to tell myself that's who I am. So that's the power of the T, talk to yourself, is because maybe there's some way that you want to grow as a person and uh, you can prime yourself to believe that about yourself. So G-R-I-T, it's a great morning exercise. And what I know, Jason, is when I'm running and I'm doing this, man, at the end, I'm on fire. <laughs> and I feel so great about my life. And and usually my pace follows my thoughts. So if I'm really thinking more of an empowering way, my pace is also going to follow. So people who are listening can, can go over and download that at beyondgrit.com slash morning. I, I think the power of talking to yourself is is huge because you know, you can really go in many different directions here. And I think a lot of folks have, you know, this inner voice, this self-talk that they engage in that is quite destructive. You know, they're their own worst critic and they're always second guessing themselves. And I think when it comes to running, confidence is just so important. And if you're not a confident if you're not confident in your abilities as a runner, then it's going to be really hard to rely on those abilities during a long run, a workout, a hard race. And, you know, a lot of that comes from your self-talk. You know, are you your own best cheerleader or are you your own worst critic? And, you know, we have to move towards the cheerleader, you know, as much as we can and really be positive with ourselves and set ourselves up for 
you know, success with our workout and success with the rest of our day. It sounds like that morning routine is quite helpful because that's exactly what it does. It kind of just sets you up almost like a, a warm up before a workout. This is your warm up for your brain before the day. I love that. Nice. I like that. And I, Jason, I think the reason we want to be really powerful and intentional with our self-talk right from the beginning of the day is there's research that, you know, we have a negativity bias as humans. So when I was competing in college, I ran um, for the University of Northern Iowa and I was a distance runner. And I, you know, I remember just like bad races I would have and it would, I would allow those to negatively impact my confidence. But I didn't also realize at the time the importance of training in my mind. And I thought that I was the only one that had this doubt, right? But now I know, guess what? The negativity bias is real, that negative events and experiences get stored quickly in our memory, and these same negative events linger longer than positive events. So the way to combat that negativity is what the research shows is that we have to hold our positive events into our awareness for at least 12 seconds or more. And when we do that, it stores from short-term to long-term memory. So, you know, for me as a runner, it's like when I have a great run, right? When I'm when I get done with that run, I'm just going to hold it into my awareness, just you know, take it in for at least 12 seconds. So those great runs store it as long as those negative runs, right? Because it's easy for us to think about, oh man, this run was tough, or I didn't feel that great that day, or you know, it's easy. You know, we all have automatic negative thoughts, so it's easy to go to the worst case scenario and think that you know our fitness is is gone when we've had a couple of runs in a row. So I think it's important to realize that the negative negativity bias is real, but we can combat that. It seems like so much of what happens to us, really the important part is how we respond to it, you know, because all of us are going to have different obstacles thrown our way. We're going to experience different types of adversity. And, and it seems like, you know, what really separates those high achieving, top performing people from everyone else is how you respond to that adversity. And is that response just an example of, of mental toughness? How do you define mental toughness? So mental toughness to me is your ability to remain confident in control under pressure. Um, and it's also about the ability to turn your attention to what's important right now. And what's the most, the next most important thing? So I think, you know, as, as a runner, um, you know, if you do have a bad race or a bad run, it's okay. Okay. What's, what's, what, what should I focus on now? And realizing that you have the power to reframe, you have the power to change your, your mindset at any, any moment. Now, this isn't easy, right? And just because what I just said is like, we do have this negativity bias, I mentioned these examples of, or I said, automatic negative thoughts, or I, I like to call them um, ants. And it's a concept I got from Daniel Amen. And, you know, there's a lot of different examples of ants. One example is uh, when we generalize, where we, uh, you know, take one moment and say, you know, I'm a terrible runner, or I'm in a slump. <laughs> or for me, it might be, you know, a tough night I had with my kids, and then I am a terrible mom, right? And when you back that up to realize these are just automatic negative thoughts that helps us realize we're not alone. And really, this idea of mental toughness, it is a developed edge. So what that means is that we are not born with mental toughness. We develop it over time by continuing seeing, you know, these um, threats as opportunities 
that we're moving our focus to the what's the, the next most important thing that's really going to help us not hinder us and that we can be calm and confident even in the storm and the chaos um, in COVID-19 and that we stay committed to our long-term goals and we can stay gritty. So that to me is what mental toughness is. It's something that we can develop. I would say I've certainly developed my mental toughness <laughs> since I was a college athlete. Um, and that's really at the foundation of what I do is help people develop their mental toughness. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people think that, you know, some of these mental fitness skills are ingrained and they're things that you're born with and that they never change, but that's not true at all. I mean, like you mentioned, mental toughness is a skill. It is something that you can build and develop over time. And I find that very encouraging because that means any runner, no matter where they are on the spectrum, has that capability, has the ability to get better when it comes to their mental skills, their mental toughness, and even how they respond to different types of adversity. So I'm I'm very encouraged by it. And, and I think I think it means that every runner should start thinking much more about training their brain in addition to the rest of their body. Yeah. I don't believe that we should take a day off of training our mind. Like I think we need to train it every single day. And, you know, this idea of mental toughness, you might think tough, like sometimes that word, um, people think that they got to keep pushing. Right. And I think as a runner, you, you understand the difference between like pain and discomfort. Discomfort is something that you should, run through, right? We should push through. We should push through discomfort because that helps us grow and learn and helps us become who we're supposed to become. But tough tough is kind of tricky because it does mean you have to be aware of yourself. Sometimes I try to use like being mentally strong instead of mentally tough because it also means, you know, like I think about this time period, Jason, where we can just keep pushing and pushing, pushing and pushing during COVID-19 and then not really um, like take time for ourselves and engage in self-care. So even mentally tough athletes or mentally strong athletes, whatever, however you might define that, they they care for themselves and they they work to uh, take care of their their mind and their body. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, mental toughness is you know the way I think about it, it's really being positive and proactive when you're dealing with some sort of adversity. So a lot of Runners will be familiar with a racing situation where, you know, things start to go south or maybe you hit your, you know, 5K split during a marathon and it's too slow or it's too fast or your shoe comes off in the middle of a race. How do you deal with those types of adversity? And mental toughness means that you're positive and proactive about it. And it's certainly not beating your chest, thinking you're macho, you know, any kinds of those you know, more traditional ideas of masculinity are absolutely not part of mental toughness. It's really about how you respond to, you know, different types of, of obstacles in your path. And, you know, a lot of what we're talking about, it, it seems like a lot of this is changing our response to, to fear, fear of failing, fear, fear of being uncomfortable, maybe fear of being judged. Now, obviously, we can't eliminate fear. We're always going to be doing scary things like running races, doing hard workouts. Uh, you know, I've been running for more than 20 years, and I still get butterflies in my stomach when I line up for a race. So we're never going to get rid of that feeling, but how do we manage it? What strategies are there for us to reframe or redefine or, or even use fear as fuel? Yeah, good question. 
So I'm going to start this answer with um, considering four fear facts. And I talk about this in my book, Beyond Grit. There's a section where I talk about fear. And first, I think it's helpful to know that fear applies to everyone. And I don't think we want to completely eliminate fear because I think about right now, you're, you wouldn't do anything that's um, uh, unhealthy, right? You wouldn't uh, go outside and be around a big group of people because you know that you might get COVID-19, right? So fear keeps us safe. And so we don't want to completely eliminate it. But I do think that our best self is on the other end of fear, right? It, our best self is when we choose courage instead of fear. So first, fear applies to everyone. I don't think we want to eliminate it. And second, I think it's helpful to know that fear lives in the future. So when we are fearful of something, it, we are having future-based thinking. We're thinking in the future. And typically, it's kind of like these what-if scenarios, right? Well, what if I don't run the 5K as fast as I want to? Or what if I, I have to walk during the marathon? Or what if I hit the wall, right? And so fear lives in the future. The third thing to remember is that everything that we fear is self-created. So typically, we just fantasize um, about the future in a negative way. And it's, it's not real. It's our imagination. And we're likely just recreating the worst case scenario. <laughs> so uh, everything we fear is self-created. And then the last thing is choosing courage is going to feel better than denying the fear. Um, and so what I mean by that, maybe it means... Um, during this time period, if you're a business owner, it might be like choosing a creative way to grow your business. Maybe it's um, growing your fitness in a new way during this time, right? Or, or growing a new habit of eating or self-care. So um, fear is always going to be there when we're trying something new and growing. I think just realizing that when you're trying something different, maybe it's a different way of training, the fear is going to be there. And so um, I just recorded a podcast episode, Jason. I have a, my own podcast called The High Performance Mindset. And um, I talked about uh, this episode where I, I, I described courage up. And what I meant by that is I used this quote by Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than the fear. <laughs> and I like that something else is more important than the fear, right? Because we can all experience it right now during this time period. So in this podcast episode, I was talking about the courage roadmap, and this is what it is to help you reduce your fear is just two parts of this courage roadmap. And first, you want to write down your fear. And my guess is it's probably in a what if statement, right? Like, um, what if I lose my job? What if I can't finish the race? What if I'm not ready? And then end that what if statement with an I will statement to really kind of take the sting away from the fear and knowing that you can get through anything. So just helping yourself talk through this fear and that, you know, realizing that you can keep going. So um, an example might be, well, what if I lose my job during COVID-19? Well, I will file for unemployment, right? I just, I just read last week that like 24 million people have filed for unemployment. Um, or if it's like, well, what if I have to walk in the marathon? Well, then I will, you know, uh, make sure I stay mentally strong, right? By doing this and this and this. So I think these four fear facts can help people just realize that um, we can choose courage, right? That we, it's not that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather that something is more important than the fear. And courage is really practiced by us. It's not practiced by anyone else. It's a decision we make. We can um, power the decision by, by feeding our courage and really courage grows by exercising it. It's not something that um, we can store, right? So um, courage is something that we use. 
I love that quote. And I swear I found a similar quote that was something like, fear is not the, you know, uh, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather uh, action despite fear. And so I, I thought that was a very similar, but uh, but another great quote on courage. And it sounds like, you know, fear is very well addressed by having a plan. And, you know, I'm a running coach, so I always like to have a plan B, a plan C, D, and E for if and when things go wrong. And a lot of the times what we're addressing are things that we're afraid of. You know, what happens if you get sick four days before the race? What happens if, you know, you lose a shoe during the race or your shoe comes untied or some other bad thing happens? We always have a plan. And then we have a plan if the plan fails. So there's always these backup plans too. Uh, and, and I feel like that's a very effective way of addressing fear because you don't have to be afraid if something happens because you already know what you're going to do if that fearful thing does happen. Yeah, I think that's really awesome, Jason. I think um, there's some research uh, on top performers by uh, um, a sports psychology professional named Dan Gould, and he found those who uh, did well at the Olympic Games versus those that did not had what's called a contingency plan. So that's exactly what you're saying. Like, if these things don't go great, then I will do this, right? Or if I experience these obstacles, then I will. And um, one example during a running race that I used this was, I can't remember what year this was. Maybe you can help me out. It might have been 2012 uh, at the Boston Marathon. It was supposed to be like 90 degrees in the race. And it was so frustrating because, you know, you train all winter for, uh, you know, the Boston Marathon. And then we got there and we got these emails from the race directors. I swear it was like, you know, five emails in one day, the day before the race that, you know, if you decide not to run it, you can uh, defer next year. And they just kept on like describing how the heat was going to be, you know, um, an obstacle the next day. And I remember walking back to my hotel after we ate dinner and I was just mad, Jason, like I was angry. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, mother nature, why would you, why would you do this kind of thing? You know, I've been training, I'm, I'm fit, I'm ready. And that night, just to kind of re re release my frustration, I wrote a contingency plan. So I said, here's five things that if, if this happens, then I will, right? And it, it did make, it allowed me to be more confident going into the race. And I remember one of them was like, okay, if I get too hot, I will. And uh, I took, put two glasses of water over my head, drank a glass of Gatorade every mile, and um, I was very wet at the end of the race, but I ran a PR at the Boston Marathon. And I think I got like 98th for women that year, which I was so proud of because, um, you know, all the people that run the marathon from all over the world. Sindra, you're right. I had to look it up, but the 2012 Boston Marathon was the really hot marathon. I had three athletes in that race and uh, one did great, one did okay, and one had a really, really tough race. And, you know, in hindsight, looking back on it, I really think it, a lot of it had to do with uh, how well they stuck to those backup plans, because we knew it was going to be hot going into that race. And so, you know, we, we were obviously using a plan B because you can't really run a PR marathon when it's 90 degrees out. And uh, yeah, that is probably an example of one of the hardest types of adversity you can have because you put all your eggs in one basket with a marathon. And then to have that kind of a uh, weather on race day is just so heartbreaking. It is. And it was really heartbreaking seeing like 
many of my friends not have a great race, you know, when they've been training so many, you know, five, six, seven, eight months, right? I think that's an example of, I was grateful that I had my mental toughness or mental strength training because I was able to see kind of this threat as an opportunity, right? And I was able to stay calm and confident. I wouldn't have been able to do that as well if I wouldn't have written a contingency plan. So now like um, all the athletes that I work with, who let's say a big event's coming up, if it's a competition or a race, we always write a contingency plan. And I think that allows people to feel more confident, less fearful, like you mentioned earlier. Right. Now, one of the things I want to do is to try to zoom out a little bit, because you know a lot of us intellectually understand that adversity can be a good thing. It can be a learning opportunity. We can use it to fuel our performances. But I think knowing that and then actually doing it are so very different. So how can we take action on what we have just talked about? How can we, what can we do to practically make a lot of these mindset shifts happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'd say there's three things. I think first, you have to make a commitment every single day. And to me, what that means is you can't take a day off of training your mind. I think given what we said earlier that we do have a negativity bias as humans, And so recognizing that, that your default is likely going to go to what's wrong instead of what's right, or how is this a difficulty instead of an opportunity. So we need to make a commitment every single day to train our mind. And I think um, number two is the morning is a key time for you to train your mind, to prime yourself for empowering emotions and thoughts that are really going to help you become the person that you want to want to be, or maybe the person that you want to become. And so the great morning exercise that I mentioned could be an example of something you do in the morning. Um, And then um, number three, I would just say like a commitment to do something that fuels your mind every day. And so um, maybe that means 15 or 20 minutes of listening to an empowering podcast like this or reading something about mindset that's going to help you. Uh, feel great and give you some really to- uh, great tools for your toolbox. I just think we can't take a day off of training our mind. And um, these tools just help us become a better a better version of ourselves. It allows us to reach our running goals for sure. But most people will say when they start training their mind on a regular basis that they they feel better, they feel happier, they feel like they're able to accomplish their goals. Um, And the great thing is that you might be able to apply these mindset strategies to running, but also to your life and to your work and and, um, to your family as well. So those are the three ways that I would say is like just a commitment every day to train your mind, do something in the morning and then do something at some point throughout your day, if it's it's in the morning or later on to to make sure that you're training your mind and, and helping you learn these different tools for your toolkit. I think a really encouraging aspect to all this is that simply by being aware that this is a skill that you can build and develop over time, by being aware that we have a natural propensity to view things in a negative light, and and just the awareness that there are some of these strategies and tactics for building our mental toughness, our positivity, and, you know, different mental skills that we've discussed that, you know, just being aware of that is is almost half the battle. And being able to do that uh, is going to put you ahead of most other folks. And then even if you 
are just aware, that's a good thing. But then just by taking some action on that awareness, you're really going to be able to propel your you know, your mental fitness and then your running performances and everything else. Now you did mention, um, you know, that these mental skills are, are great in other areas of our lives too, whether, you know, you go to the office and they're, you know, helping you at work or helping you with your family. How can you apply these to those different areas? I mean, what are some of the more specific skills that do have great carryover into those other domains? Yeah, great question. I think that they all do have carryover into other areas. You know, when you when you think about is there any differences between the work that I might do with an athlete versus a CEO or a vice president, I think that the the strategies and the tools are the same. It's just the environment and the situation that might be different. And so um, my book, Beyond Grit, covers these 10 practices of the world's best. And I'll give you an example of the number, the five, number five, and it's kind of the heart, right? Five is the middle. And if you aren't doing number five, (laughs) all the other things really don't matter. And number five is dominating the controllables. And I think that is a a component of mental toughness. If you're focusing on something that you can't control, it's really difficult because we blame, we get frustrated, and uh, we don't take responsibility when we're focusing on things we can't control. And, um, one one time I was running this 20-mile race, Jason, and it was uh, to train for a marathon. And um, the, the race director forgot to put water out at like, I don't know, it was maybe mile eight or something. And the water, like when we ran by the, the table, the water was still kind of in like in the big jug, right, with the glasses next to it. So we couldn't like run by and grab the cup. And the guy in front of me was so mad. You know, he's like just um, swear words, you know, everything that you could imagine. And I thought to myself running behind him, I said, well, now I just got a leg up on him, right? Because he's all frustrated. He's using his his emotions and he's allowing the something that he couldn't control to frustrate him. And, you know, just about half mile later, I passed him because <laughs> I chose to be like, okay, realize that I can't control that. All I can control is is right how I respond to it. You know, I can control my attitude, my preparation, my passion, my my persistence, my effort, my emotions, but ultimately I can't control what others do. And so that's an example of how I can apply that right now to COVID-19, right? Like I can't control how much toilet paper there is or how long this is going to last or what the government is is saying or what your um you know uh, what? What potentially your um, your governor? You know the the regulations there, but we can control our response and uh, our attitude about it, and our effort and our emotions around it. So I think that's important to know. That's just one example of how that applies to business, that applies to our home life, that applies to running. And if we don't do that, I think it's really tough to be me- mentally tough. Yeah, the whole control, the controllables, I think is really critical. And it's, you know, what we learn when I was running cross country and track in college, it's, it's, we, we're really, really methodical about certain aspects of our training. Uh, but then of course there were certain things that we couldn't control, couldn't control the weather, we, you know, all, all kinds of things that we had to, to run through and deal with. And, uh, it, it was, it was kind of great because we never, really put any energy or thought into the things we couldn't control. We had no control over them. So what was the point? And, and it was almost like a crash course in, in learning that principle 
uh, at the collegiate level. And, you know, by the way, it was funny you tell that story about not having water during this race because I did a duathlon years back and uh, there was no marking at the turnaround point. And I was with two other guys. We were leading the race and we were supposed to turn around after a mile. It was a two mile opening leg. There was no marking there. There was no course marshal. And so we ended up running like a mile and a half out, turned around and came back. And the same thing happened. The, the, one of the guys with me completely blew an emotional gasket and was just swearing and yelling. And I was just as mad as him. And, and I'm someone who gets really, really uh, passionate. You can ask my wife. I kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve a little bit sometimes. But, you know, in a race situation, I was like, okay, I'm going to channel all this anger into the rest of the race. I actually had a great performances over the, the legs of the duathlon, but I didn't do as well as I had hoped because I basically ran a whole extra mile. Uh, but it was just interesting to see how someone could just expend all this energy that was ultimately wasted and pointless and futile. And then you know, me, I just kind of channeled it into the race. And I think there's, there's always a productive way of channeling negative emotions. Yeah. And I think about this idea of responding, not reacting. And it comes from a book called Man's Search for Meaning, which is one of the best-selling um, self-improvement books. It's by a guy named Viktor Frankl. And he was a psychiatrist in a concentration camp um, and actually lost his family during this concentration camp, I think is his wife was pregnant, right? And, and she died in the concentration camp. And he said what he, so he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he said, you know, between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space is our freedom and power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. And I think that's such a powerful idea that, okay, the stimulus and response, we can put space there we can decide how we're going to respond to the stimulus. We don't have to blow up, right? We don't have to blow up at our kids or blow up if the, the water's not where we want it to be. And uh, we can do this by something in my book I call the power pause. And I, I just do two things together, a power breath and a power phrase. And I find that if you do them in that order, it's better. Like take a deep breath, maybe count with it to reset your mind. And then, you know, say something powerful to yourself. Like, I can get through anything, or um, maybe it is respond, not react, or take a deep breath. I am smart, or something like that. You know, just anything that's going to help you in that moment create space. But I think that's really powerful to realize like, I am in control of my response. Sometimes I need to remind myself of that. And none of this is easy, Jason. You know, we can say, yeah, don't take a day off of training your mind, and we have to talk powerfully to ourselves. But um, we're working with a brain that um, is here to keep us safe, not here to help us be a peak performer. And so that's why we have to train it every day. Yeah, that's a good point. Like our our brain is not really designed for growth and all the things that we kind of high-mindedly want to pursue. It's really designed to keep you safe and that's almost it. Uh, so at, at a very yeah, basic yeah. level. <laughs> so your, our natural tendencies are really going to be more like safety, right? And, um, and to, you know, kind of this idea of fight or flight. And so I just think realizing that that is part of human nature. I used to think there was something wrong with me when I was in college. I thought, well, I was the only one that had this negativity. Nope. <laughs> it is part of the human experience. But I can also train it. And, uh, and, and for some of us, we have to train it more than others. 
Yeah. And nevertheless, I, I will stand by my earlier statement. I think that's so encouraging. That is something that we can all work on, just like our running fitness, our ability to run fast, all things that can be improved upon. So Sindra, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with us. I, I am really loving learning more about sports psychology and understanding how it can be such a performance enhancer for our running, but also for every other area of our life. I think there's tremendous potential in that. And uh, I think it's encur- encouraging and such a, just a, a positive thing that I think we should all be more aware of. So thanks for being here. And I also want you to let us know where we can learn more about your work. You mentioned your book, Beyond Grit. You also have your website, SyndraCampHoff.com. Where else are you online? Yeah, um, you can find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, I, or I guess it'd be um, iHeartRadio, there we go, or Apple Podcasts, um, and that's called The High Performance Mindset. So we'd love for you to come listen and uh, give it a try. And it, it's re- every single week we talk about mindset, and I interview some uh, thought leaders about mindset, and then every, every week I give just a five-minute quick episode to help you develop your, your mindset. And then you can find me on, um, Twitter at mentally underscore strong. I'm everywhere else on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook at Sindra Campoff. And if you want to grab a beyond grit book, I'll give you a free shipping code. So you can go to free ship or go to beyondgrit.com. So beyondgrit.com put free ship um, all one word into the code and I'll ship it to you for free. And it's a wonderful book that helps you develop your mental toughness and develop your grit. And it covers 10 practices, really practical strategies. I'm I'm all into practicality, Jason, because I worked with a sports psychologist in, in college that was a little too theoretical. So I'm, I try to be really practical and easy to understand. Yeah, well, we appreciate that. I think it's always great when you can take the theory and then boil it down to, okay, here are three things that you can actually do today or tomorrow that will make you into a better runner and a better person. So I always appreciate that. Sindra, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. I appreciate it. And there it is, my conversation with Dr. Sindra Kamphoff. Sindra's energy is infectious, and she brings such expertise and actionable advice to the podcast. I hope you'll learn more about her at SyndraCampoff.com or find her on social media. Finally, a big thanks to Naked Nutrition for helping make this episode possible. You can see them at NKDNutrition.com, and they make high-quality supplements for athletes. And out of the nearly countless supplements that runners could potentially take, protein is actually helpful and beneficial. After any big training session, especially a long run, workout, or a race, it's critical to aid the recovery process with protein. Muscles get damaged when you run hard, and protein is what helps repair them. Naked Nutrition has a vanilla grass-fed whey protein powder that I'm personally loving. It only has three ingredients, but if you actually want an unflavored version, you'll only have a single ingredient, whey protein. I love that simplicity, and the fact that they're third-party tested for contaminants, they don't have any additives, and the whey comes from grass-fed cows, and there's also a pea protein option for vegans. I'm also, for the first time in my life, taking a greens supplement. They have a Naked Greens, and this is basically a powder of broccoli, greens, grasses, and other vegetables to supplement your veggie intake. It certainly tastes like grass (laughs) and other vegetables, but I think that's the idea. 
Check out all of their Made in the USA products at nkdnutrition.com. Okay, runners, that's all from me today. I'd like to thank you for listening to everyone who has left a review for the podcast and Apple Music. You're the best. Those reviews keep me going. Stay safe, stay healthy, and run strong. 